This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with the other person who is on this podcast. It's Sarah Scrimshaw. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I am doing well today. Oh, good. Yeah. Today's a good day. Yeah. 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 So there we've done it. We have acknowledged through our tense uh, sounding answers to how are you, <laughs> the reality that the world is not great right now. Lots of challenges. I think we are uh, also trying to have hope that lots of people here in America are going to vote and it's going to make a difference and all that stuff. But yeah, uh, things are difficult. Uh, here on the podcast, I have to be honest for me, uh, the thing that I'm obsessed with constantly is what's going on in the world and you know voting in that. But I feel like we should also have some episodes that are about other things as well, because we all do need some escapism as well. Yes, yes. I mean, if you want, I can clarify. I, within my own little bubble of how am I doing within the fire that is our world, literally and metaphorically, uh, I am doing better today than other days, so I'm saying I'm doing fine. But okay. um, the the world is on fire in many ways. Uh, our country is on fire in many ways. And that's not okay, so I'm not actually okay. But within <laughs> the ranges of not okay, uh, today is a better day. <laughs> okay, that is a greeting card that you just said right there. <laughs> We're going to get those greeting cards very, very soon, I'm sure, to give even more money to the post office, which you should. Anyway, we've talked about the post office. We've talked about living through history. We might talk about voting in general. Uh, October is going to come up. We'll probably talk about some spooky stuff because I really like spooky season, uh, fictional imagination spooky season, not actual <laughs> spooky things, which we've got plenty of again. But this week, we're going to talk about something I'm definitely obsessed with, and you are probably not obsessed with, but we'll discover, and that is comic books. Yes. So right off the bat, uh, you had a question before we started to clarify. Yeah, so I thought that for the purposes of this um, podcast, let's talk about uh, when you say comic books, when we say comic books, what we mean in the realm of comic books, comic books versus graphic novels. Okay, so it, I, I, I can answer, but I'm curious to see what you <laughs> think the difference is. So, uh, so here's the thing is I had one understanding of a difference, but I don't know if my understanding has changed or it's grown. So here originally... Uh, I was aware of, like, books that were uh, written as kind of, like, graphic novels. Um, uh, that's a horrible <laughs> thing. So let me start with a different way. I was aware of comic books, like right. the single-issue comic books. Right. And then... Sequential art with words. Yeah. And, you know, like, floppy and, you know, they don't have a hardcover. They're, <laughs> I'm sure they have a set number of pages long, let's say 36 pages. I have no idea. But, like, they weren't super long. Um, and then there was... There were also graphic novels, which were usually longer, usually bound in a, you know, still often soft cover, but bound with like, you know, accordion stitching instead and whatnot. Instead of stapled together. Yes. yes. Bound instead of stapled. Yeah. And would be found in a different section of the bookstore, a comic book store. And um, so that had been my understanding. But then I wasn't sure when... Um, arcs of comic books are compiled together yeah. into volumes if then that is considered a graphic novel so i just i here's the thing it's a whole big huge world and i think there's lots of variation and i am realizing as i talk about it how little i know about it uh no i think you're actually realizing how much you do know about it uh, because it, it well if you are <laughs> i will put that on you i'm realizing how much you do know about it and i think you should realize that too uh, i do know yeah so from 
I think all of the things that you said are accurate. I think it is a little bit of a complex uh, description, uh, which is which. And, I, and to me, there isn't really that big of a difference ultimately. So here's what mm-hmm. I experienced growing up. You know, as we'll talk about as longtime listeners of the podcast know, I grew up in the 80s and I collected comic books, single issues. And then uh, in the mid to late 80s, things started to come out that where the where the companies would publish things that were bound in on nicer paper. Mm-hmm. And to differentiate, they would call those uh, graphic novels. Mm-hmm. And then over time, as those became popular, they would also say, hey, that five-issue run of Batman that's really famous, let's compile all of those, and then we'll, that'll be bound the same way. It'll be on the nicer paper, and we're going to call that a graphic novel as well. So oh. I think there's that that, okay. that you have of just like, hey, if it's bound, if it's on nicer paper, it is a, a graphic novel. Okay. But so then it starts to lose that differentiation because when you're saying a comic book versus graphic novel, there's not actually any difference in the content. Like now the standard right. issue of if there is a run of a Wonder Woman comic book mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, the first six issues get uh, individual issues, which are comic books, then get collected into graphic novel. And then you're just talking about that work. Right. You're not talking about that physical thing that you purchased either from a you know, comic book uh, shelf in a comic book store versus you went and got that entire run in six different graphic novels mm-hmm. uh, instead of 52 individual issues or whatever that would be. And you bought that at Barnes and Noble. Great. You could physically say like these single issues are comic books. These things are graphic novels. But if you're just talking about the work, the yeah. art, then I think you're really getting into the reason that those publishing companies back in the mid to late 80s called things graphic novels. Not It wasn't just to differentiate that they're bound and they're on nicer paper, so they're fancier. It was definitely just the battle about the way we talk about art. Mm, yeah. You know, to me, comic book versus graphic novel is the same as movie versus film. Interesting. It, there is a judgment connotation as well. And so I think some of that really emerged from... Uh, the Dark Knight and The Watchmen. And The Watchmen was originally <laughs> released as individual comic book issues mm-hmm. uh, and then immediately collected into a graphic novel. Uh, yeah. But people will say, you know, the the Watchmen television show, which was a continuation, of course, of the famous graphic novel Watchmen, you'll always hear that. There's no actually difference in the content mm-hmm. if you read Watchmen in a graphic novel bound together Versus if you go back and buy those individual comic books. <laughs> right. The battle there is, this is uh, valid, uh, honestly. I yeah. mean, it, it, to me, there is just some kind of like class judgment about art. Yeah, yeah. Also, more places to sell it if it's in a graphic novel form. Uh, because most bookstores, many bookstores do not sell comic books, but would sell um, graphic novels, collections. And so... yeah. Yeah. yeah, and this is a major thing that also happens in uh, in, the, in the span of my collecting comic books is comic books used to be just kind of everywhere. They'd be in grocery stores and they'd be in 7-Eleven and all that. And then uh, late 80s, early 90s, around there. And again, I, I know a decent amount, but I could be getting some of these minor details wrong. I'm, not a, I'm obsessed, but I'm not a full expert by any means. Um, they started uh, to make everything direct sales so to comic book shops okay to shops that are specifically like our our purpose is to sell comic books or like you know where we're from in minneapolis when there was the chain of shinders they would sell you know 
baseball cards and magazines and comic books, but they were yeah. a direct shop. And co- individual comic book issues stopped being present everywhere. Mm. And I think uh, part of it was moving toward the, ooh, well, graphic novels are serious and important, and they can be stocked at a bookstore. Oh, yeah. They're not these little flimsy rags that any, you know, uh, nose-picking kid can pick up at, you know, 7-Eleven. Well, they're, you know, waiting for the, their shoes to get shiny, I guess. <laughs> you know, like seven-year-old, yeah. like seven-year-old kids, kids do. do. Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, I have some feelings about that uh, yeah. uh, as well. Because it, it did change the dynamic. Yeah, no, uh, that's in the very accessibility. interesting. But I think part of that is this, this pursuit that I think um, a lot of people in any art have. Uh, or, or, you know, publishers, producers of art, when somebody has looked down on your genre and you find a way to n- not change <laughs> much of what you're doing, mm-hmm. uh, although arguably comic books did, but reframe it. Yeah. There's this desire to reframe it into what is more acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Thank you. Yeah. 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 Uh, so let's dive into uh, comic books then. And damn it, I'm calling it comic books, oh, not yeah. graphic novels. Oh, no, we're talking about comic books. Yeah, which can sometimes be graphic novels. Yes. Anyway, what is your childhood experience of comic books? Yeah, so I um, was, as I have mentioned for people who've listened to the podcast before, uh, was not actually a big reader of comic books. Um, to me, comic books in general, like... There were, I probably had more of them around than this, but my main memories of comic books meant one of two things. Um, one, I was at my grandmother's house, and my brother and I were going through the metal box of comic books that had been <laughs> left there by my dad and his siblings when they were kids. Wow. And so it was um, lots of old, like Archie, Jughead. Uh, I think there were... There were definitely others as well, but those were the ones that I was interested in reading. Um, so those are the ones that I recall. So it was either I'm at my grandma's house and there is one specific metal box that <laughs> lives at grandma's house. Um, or I had a collection of um, Dennis the Menace uh, Bible comics <laughs> <laughs> that um, for whatever reason, I read a fair amount and yeah. so, um, so I have, that, and that's my comic book experience. Did somebody push the Dennis the Menace Bible comic books toward you, or did you gravitate toward them for some reason? So they were given to, I don't remember if it was to me or to my brother and I, as a gift by one of our cousins, um, who was older th- than us. And so I, I don't know if it's just that they were around and I just didn't have access to other comics and I would read them like when I built a fort in the basement and was like, okay, it's time to read about Dennis the Menace and Moses. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> so let, let me let me understand the content of the comics. So <laughs> yeah. this wasn't like Dennis the Menace as a modern uh, practicing Christian. He wasn't going to like a confessional or things like that he he was inserted into the stories of the bible yeah dennis the menace and and related characters were in (laughs) the story the bible stories and here's i mean it's the funny thing because i remember reading them and you know my i wasn't they were not pushed on me it was not like sarah you must learn your bible stories and this is how you're going to learn them but i think i was oddly fascinated with them i was a i liked dennis the menace like as a cartoon that was one that i really liked so i think that might have been like okay i'll read about you know 
Dennis the Menace and women of the Bible. In <laughs> women of the Bible, it makes it sound like he's looking like a looking at a calendar. Or so something. It's, I mean, so I did. I looked these up because I was like, okay, I've never heard anybody else talk about these, and they were something that I have such strong memories of. So they came out. I looked them up um, just so I could oh, wow. for this before this podcast. Uh, they came out in um, 1977. So they came out late 70s, and it was very much. Um, like the actual characters from Dennis the Menace would like, I, for how much I read them, I probably didn't read them that much. I probably read each of them like three times or something. Okay. It isn't like I read them daily. Um, but they, I don't remember a lot of the details, but it was usually like our modern characters, but they were dressed up in kind of fake biblical clothing. Okay. Like I think there's one of them was, um, was there a Joey? I think there's Joey. I do not um, know the in, Dennis the Menace oeuvre <laughs> myself. So I think that was um, for Joseph. And so he, instead of a coat of many colors, he put on like his dad's bathrobe. And then like they learned about, I, somehow they learned about these things or they were kind of in the story. They sort of like play acted them and then they ended up in that story kind of thing? Kind of. I kind of don't remember the the details of how the narrative played out. Okay. Um, but, you know, I know there was like... Samson and Delilah was in there. David and Goliath. Moses was Dennis uh, the Goliath. No, David. Dennis was, <laughs> was uh, David. Okay, David the non-menace one would, or I guess a menace from the Goliath's perspective. Yeah. Uh, what did you get out of them? Did they? Was it just like reading any sort of like comic strip? like from the newspaper when you're really young and you just kind of it went over your head, or did you did you like put them down and feel like? I have learned the lesson of David and Goliath. <laughs> uh, probably what it did is I probably pictured Dennis the Menace characters whenever those um, <laughs> characters came up. <laughs> so Easter rolled around and you were just picturing Dennis the Menace. I mean, not that far. Okay. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it didn't, it, I don't know that it had, it just, I think it's one of those things that has really stuck with me as I've gotten older. Like at the time, I didn't think a lot about it because, yeah. like I said, I didn't read them that often and, you know, would forget about them for four years. And they'd be like, oh, hey, look at these. Um, but as I've gotten older, it's got stuck with me because it just is such to me an odd, an odd thing that is not like that I just haven't heard a lot of other people talk about and an odd thing that kind of stands out within my childhood that's like, well, that's a an interesting thing, a weird thing that doesn't connect with a lot of the other dots of my childhood. Yeah, so. yeah. So obviously comic books uh, have been throughout the ages something other than superheroes as well as superheroes. Right. Obviously superheroes has been uh, the main thing, but, you know, there's been, uh, there's lots of different kind of storytelling. So comic books to me are that medium of storytelling of sequential word art with a, uh, uh, words of some kind um, it, to tell uh, a story uh, and superheroes, obviously the main thing, but Dennis the Menace uh, <laughs> yeah. teaches you about the Bible. And honestly, the, the Jughead and Archie ones, I did read more often. And those I did even like sometimes, I think uh, for a short time, um, maybe when I was in high school or something, Target had kind of the the shorter, the smaller version. Of oh like yeah, the little collected, little yeah, digests. Um, yes, digests. So I remember picking up, feel like, oh, fun. Um, very excited about that. But it's interesting because most of my, and I'm sure I read like a Superman comic or something, but most of my comic book history um, growing up was non-superhero. Yeah, were there? So you said that there's the metal box. You obviously have that strong memory of these live at grandma's and they're mm-hmm. in this metal box and I build the fort and I read about Dennis <laughs> and the Goliath. Um, 
but uh, were there superhero options? I honestly don't remember. Okay, well then there, they didn't make an impression, obviously. No, it might. I mean, my brother and I kind of divvied up the box when okay. we were there, so it might have been that those were in his pile. But I wanted to read the Jughead and Archie and yeah. Betty and Veronica ones, so it wasn't like ah, oh, I get the leftovers. It was like these are the ones I want. Okay, and I don't think I paid a lot of attention to what he was reading, <laughs> <laughs> so I have no idea. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, for myself, I think I had a slightly similar thing. Of I probably saw the. Uh, 60s Batman show in reruns, as I've talked about a lot. That's one of my very, very formative earliest uh, of memories is seeing that and wanting to draw a Batman and, you know, wanting to pretend to be Robin uh, and my older brother being Batman. Uh, but I think that my grandfather, like, this is so young, I don't remember. It's more like I remember what I was told that, like, so probably three, four years old that my grandfather either must have just kind of bought a handful because we just kind of had this stack for a while. And I still have them to this day, my stack of pre-collecting comic books, comic books. Oh, which are just fun. like a random sampling. And like I remember sometimes uh, I have a Marvel team-up that's uh, Spider-Man and Red Sonia. Uh, and I have this very specific uh, Hulk issue uh, where the Hulk is cradling an injured boy and the rhino, his enemy, is running up behind him. And they're all, you know, as they did on comic book covers of the time, describing what is happening of like, you know, Rhino injure boy, Hulk make him pay. And Rhino's like, yeah, Hulk doesn't know he's going to get it in the back or something like that. I'm paraphrasing, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know. So I, I have vivid memories. And every once in a while when I come across one of those comic books, you know, just flipping through things, that super powerful memories because these were like sort of from the before times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were always present, you know, and superheroes were always present. And I was always fascinated uh, by them. Uh, you know, I think it was like... It wasn't a comic book. It was like an electric company magazine that had like a little joke thing with Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four in, in the back that my brother tried to use to teach me to read. It was like, that's probably the first thing I read. <laughs> wow. Is a very jokey. Uh, all I remember is I think Spider-Man told a joke and Mr. Fantastic said it was a knee slapper. And then like he was, there's a picture of him hitting his knee. So you started with the word knee slapper. It might have been, yeah, that might have been one of the <laughs> early words <laughs> in my reading adventures. But then what really like uh, made it an obsession was, so I loved Robin. You know, when mm-hmm. there were underoos, I was always upset because I could never find the underoos. I had to settle for Superman because I wanted Robin. Everything was about Robin mm-hmm. because he, you know, being a younger brother that I just connected with Robin from a very young age. And, you know, in the early 80s, there's this now incredibly famous run of comic books written by Marv Wolfman, uh, uh, plotted as well by the artist uh, George Perez. Just phenomenal, unique, amazing art. And he, he did Teen Titans. He did The Avengers for a long time. Absolutely amazing. Uh, in a ton of our CW stuff, as you know, the CW superheroes that we watch pull from that specific era mm-hmm. and that specific run. Uh, but I got one random issue uh, and really loved it. it was, and it was just a total like, you know, we're at, I think my grandma bought it for me because we were at uh, a convenience store in mm-hmm. Brainerd, Minnesota. And then I picked up another at some point, And I don't remember. I think it was just the story that they had a real cliffhanger. And I was like, at that point, I was old enough to be like, I get enough of an allowance. I could look every month because I understood then they come out every month. I could look at our neighborhood, just little you know, convenience store. Mm-hmm. It, and at that, that point, we were in St. Cloud, Minnesota. And it was just like a mom and pop place that was like a two block walk away. Yeah. And I was like, I can do it. 
I can take on the responsibility of collecting a comic book. I remember <laughs> yeah. that like being a huge wow. big deal that I would start collecting. And then I just collected that. And uh, for some reason, it wasn't something that my brother had ever done. So I think in retrospect, it was also like something that I was like, ooh, I'll try this thing that makes me feel like an adult. Yeah. And I remember being insanely young and my brother going like, I think I'm going to start collecting something and me going, okay, but keep in mind, it's a big responsibility. You really, you know, you have to pay attention. You can't miss the shoe. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there was probably something in that, but the, the actual uh, stories in that run of Teen Titans were incredibly uh, powerful. It was kind of a, a breakthrough because DC had had like really wild adventures and then the breakthrough that gets talked a lot about with Stanley going, what if the characters were a little bit more relatable? What what if they weren't gods that you looked up to, but like frail, weird humans who had powers? Mm-hmm. You know, like the mm-hmm. Spider-Man. He's a teen and he's a nerd and he has to do this always because he feels guilty because he <laughs> let the guy who killed his uncle go when he could have stopped him. Mm-hmm. You know, and coming from that point of frailty uh, yeah. where it was still a fantasy, but there's more humanity in it. And the Teen Titans run that marv wolfman did is one of the places where dc really really brought that idea to bear on the dc characters mm-hmm. uh so of course being a younger kid and looking up to i'm gonna be a teen you like and everything about the teen titans is always like they they always are like yeah no they bond over their mentors not believing in them you know and this is them striking out on their own yeah and it had this kind of continuing uh story quality um and I was just truly so deeply invested in not only the fantasy and the art and the colors and the fighting, but the story mm-hmm. of like, is Garfield ever going to feel appreciated? Are Dick and Coriander ever going to hook up? I didn't know the term hook up at the time, but like I was invested <laughs> in the story Yeah. to the point I got in trouble one time of we were on the city bus and going home and it was our stop. And my mom pulled the string mm-hmm. uh, to stop the bus because it wasn't a regular stop. And I was reading the comic and I got to like the last couple of pages where something shocking happened. Uh, and I just sat back down because I couldn't stop reading. Yeah. And I got <laughs> I got in some trouble because <laughs> we had to do some walking uh, then to get home. <laughs> but I found out what was happening with Kid Flash. So there, there's that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So for me, it, 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 that specific comic really got its hooks in when I look back. Because of storytelling that I related to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's fascinating. Cool. Uh, so obviously Dennis the Menace didn't get its hooks in uh, to the same degree. No. <laughs> no, but I, do, I mean, I do remember with my uh, my Archie books, ones that I was reading, they were not sequential. And they were, you know, comic books that have been collected by uh, my dad and his siblings. Uh, yeah. You know, like in the... 60s yeah something like that and so i don't honestly know where they came from they just were there and in a metal box so they were like Um, short gags right there would be like little two-page mini arcs or whatever of like jughead has a uh a trick to get more hamburgers this week and it works or it doesn't or yeah but i want to say that there was some there was some continuity and i certainly had that like oh you know jughead gonna do the right thing this time or you know these two people are in a, these two characters are in a fight and is it going to get resolved? But we didn't have all the sequential issues. So I sometimes didn't know. So I just have to make up my own stories. Well, so I like the, the, um, just when you're saying about the storytelling and the characters, that is absolutely what 
grabbed me also. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if I had, if we had known each other as children yes. and I had been able to, to say to you like, okay, look, I love the Teen Titans because it is basically a soap opera uh, about teens who also have amazing and incredibly weird superpowers. Mm-hmm. If I had pitched comic books to you that way when you were a kid, would, would that have spoke to you? Would you have been like, ooh, I want to check that out? Or what would you have thought? Oh, yeah, I think so. I think that would have been interesting. I think there actually might have been a Hulk comic book in that one that I probably read a few times, but not every time okay. that I was at my grandma's house. Um, but I think that it it took me a long time specifically with the Hulk to kind of realize that the Hulk was more than the image of the Hulk. Uh, you, it's, what, what do you mean by that? Like, obviously, like the, the Hulk was around a lot because in our youth because there was the television show. So the Hulk was plastered yeah. on things. So you yeah. probably just saw him. <laughs> images not the actual hulk you saw the images of the hulk in the world <laughs> what do you mean though for yourself well i mean like seeing the hulk as as big and intimidating and not reading enough of it or knowing enough of it because i don't think i ever watched the tv show um to kind of have any of the bruce banner story or that the hulk maybe doesn't mean to cause some of the damage that he's causing okay so you just um, saw the hulk as a monster and I you did. didn't see him as a character with feelings and agency <laughs> probably yeah <laughs> no, is that what think, you mean yeah pretty much i mean i think i not scared like oh i'm scared of the hulk like i'm gonna have nightmares but i think i the Hulk wasn't necessarily a... I didn't feel like what I saw from the picture of the Hulk, to, that it was a story that I wanted to read. Yeah. No, that yeah. makes sense. I remember being fascinated with the Hulk because I think there is that level of monster to him that's part of his story of the the tragedy that Bruce Banner has a side of himself that he can't control. But I remember mm-hmm. when I first figured out that the uh, in the original Avengers lineup, Hulk was one of the characters. So I was like, but how? He can't be controlled. How can he do teamwork? <laughs> I think it is one of the things that is fascinating about Hulk. And obviously they, they told that uh, story well in the uh, MCU movies, I think. Yeah. Um, so I, I learned a lot from actually just collecting comic books uh, because I literally did have to budget my allowance. So mm-hmm. once uh, my brother and I uh, and my family moved to Minneapolis and we both got deep or into the general Minneapolis area. We lived in a bunch of different suburbs, bounced around. Uh, but for a solid number of years, we really, really intensely collected comic books. For, so for me, from being like a, uh, you know, a, a kid into well into being a teen, and I only stopped collecting uh, around when I was like 18, 19 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so we collected like mad, and it really was a budgeting thing. Is yeah. You know, we grew up, we did more... Uh, chores we got more allowance and i i remember i think it was in like fifth grade uh, we had a part of uh, math class that was about budgeting and i was getting grumpy with the teacher explaining it because i was like i know what budgeting is i have to do it for my comic books (laughs) and i apparently said that enough because like years later a kid that i went to school with found me online was like remember when you wouldn't shut up about budgeting for your comic books (laughs) Would uh, oh, you are good at delightful? Oh, thank you. <laughs> well, he wouldn't shut up. It is delightful. Uh, but yeah, it was very true. And it was like you know, especially as I started to connect more and more, and and uh, really started to collect a lot of Marvel stuff and see how it all branched together and had the characters had relationships with each other and on and on and on. Um, would you have been interested in that part of it? 
because you are you have such a good mind for organization and and I really do look looking back not like I'm some master of budgeting now but I think it really was you know my snotty comments in fifth grade aside it really was a good early like you have this amount of money and mm-hmm. you really have to prioritize what you care about as yeah. well as just the basic calculator math <laughs> that I learned <laughs> yeah are you, are you wondering if I... Would you have enjoyed that experience? The experience of budgeting for comic books? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, I I remember trying to calculate, you know, my allowance and saving up. I had a little dime bank, so I put my dime in <laughs> each week or whatever and see if I would ever get to $5. Um, How old are we talking when we're only getting a dime <laughs> for allowance? I think I was, I mean, I think I, I don't, I think I was maybe getting like three dimes, but because it was, I, I wanted them in dimes because I had this cool old dime bank. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you're the kind of kid who didn't actually want to collect money to purchase anything. You liked the money. I, like, I did you like found the, money. the dimes I wanted to, aesthetically pleasing. To show that I could continue to hold on to them. <laughs> I understand some of her financing decisions now. <laughs> because actually that is the other comic book I totally forgot. Um, Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and DuckTales. Well, I did actually, I think I did occasionally, I don't know. Did if you want to do a backstroke in dimes? Is that what you were trying to do? Like Scrooge McDuck? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, um, but I, I did read the, like the DuckTales comic books, and I think I probably Ooh. did buy a few of those. Okay. But I did not want to be like Scrooge, Mc... Scrooge McDuck. I did not want to, <laughs> you know, be a hoarder of my money and not share it with other people or with things that I needed or wanted. But I had, I think it's just truly that, you know, comic books were not, especially in terms of collecting and, um, it wasn't like, oh, I do not read comic books, but it was like I was really into, you know, so many different book series. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I'd be like, OK, I want to, you know, what what books are coming out next in the next scholastic book order or that look interesting? Or is there a new series that I want to look at um, that I can't necessarily get at the library? Right. Um, or is there some other goal that I was saving money for? Um so it wasn't, but if there was a story that came out that was on comic books, like DuckTales or random things, I think I just really enjoyed sometimes the experience of um, getting to read that, you know, a, a different format, um, the comic book, the comic book format, you know, but I really, I enjoyed it. But I also, I was reading always so many different series of books throughout my childhood that I don't think I was ever like, I need another thing to try to follow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. But it sounds like you did enjoy having that relationship of the connection between money and uh, what you, you, what you, where you choose to be entertained, how you choose to be entertained. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I was just kind of fascinated by that because comic books, you know, are, it, it can be looked down upon, right? It's like a waste of time, give you weird ideas, blah, 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 you know, all those kind of negative things. And for me, it was such a positive. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean it that I think that's fascinating. And also that you started it at such young age and kind of like, okay, you know, I don't know what your allowance was, but and I don't know how much comic books cost then. But, you know, (laughs) I get 50 cents and a comic book is 50 cents. So or I don't know well, what yeah, the I math mean, was. So. That's another thing, too, of like in the 80s when there was insane uh, inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, earliest comic books that my my grandfather was buying me, like it, for a long time, Marvel had this big splash that said still only 35 cents. 
Mm-hmm. And when I started collecting Teen Titans, I believe it was 60 cents. And then it went up to 75 cents. And then that was like the standard that held for a little while. But then pretty soon it was a dollar. And then, oh, but an annual is a dollar 25. And, like, and it, it rack, ratcheted up quite quickly. So like there were times where like adults would be discussing like Reagan and his inflation. I'd be like, I know my comic books. Like I have to drop one, right? <laughs> I can't keep up with Captain America, you know? Right? Look yeah. at my budget. It just doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got to make some choices. It's Captain America and New Mutants. So I'm not made of money. Um, do you have any specific, that metal box comes up, but for childhood uh, times, do you have any sense memories of comic books? Mm. I mean, certainly that type of paper, um, because I didn't read other things that were that type of paper. Yeah. Um, honestly, I think I really just like sitting here thinking about opening a comic book. Um, I am, it is very much sitting in my, the bedroom that when we went to my grandma's house, Um, My brother and I shared a bedroom and it is sitting on, you know, our twin beds and it had, there's very distinct um, wallpaper in the room and it's looking at the wallpaper and touching the comic book. And I, it just um, thinking about it, especially thinking of it like, okay, as a, as a child, definitely brings me exactly right back there. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've been thinking about that a lot. I've been rereading some older comic books uh, on my iPad uh, through Comixology, which, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that experience. Uh, But I think I've been thinking about how so much formative stuff happened for me in in my sort of creative mind with comic books in such a compressed amount of time. And so my brain has kind of been floating in that space a lot Mm -hmm. and realizing, damn, that uh, in my mind, when I was reading this comic versus when I was reading this comic are like two different eras of my life. And like there, that's a year apart, dude, <laughs> like time moves differently when you're a kid, but there's yeah. also that, but there, I have such fondness for the moments where we first started to be able to go to direct comic book stores mm. and there were comic that, you know, they had so many and there wasn't, they weren't beat up and there wasn't the, you know, oh, no, they might not have this issue this month for whatever reason because they just didn't stock it or whatever. Um, but I have such strong sense memories specifically of the smell of a 7-Eleven, wow. meaning a comic book. Yeah. And that, yeah, 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 we'll maybe get some candy or whatever or, or a soda or whatever. But 7-Eleven means comic books and just... The weirdness that as an adult in relatively recent times uh, before lockdown, uh, I'd walk into a 7-Eleven and I would just be overwhelmed by that specific comic book smell. But the comic books are long gone. Yeah. But you still get the smell? Yes. Because it's just a weird mix of whatever Slurpee and hot dog and (laughs) desperation or whatever. All smells add up to specifically a 7-Eleven. Yeah. You know, all the way from St. Joe, Minnesota to Los Angeles, the, the 7-Eleven still smells like a 7-Eleven to me <laughs> in particular. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, the sadness that 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 comic books aren't at that sort of like kid eye level in non-direct comic book shops anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking in particular, too, just how incredibly married in my mind, like the summer of 1985 is New Coke in Secret Wars 2. Like, if I tasted <laughs> New Coke now, it would taste like the uh, limited series uh, Secret Wars 2. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, so it's just, uh, I was That's curious so if you great. had anything like that that was just like, no. You know, yeah, and, and I think it's it's true of lots of things that, that anybody likes, right? But comic books, 
or something where the actual paper smells and they get tied to really tied to a specific moment because they are a periodical. They're not just uh, when you discover them. That's when they actually, you know, came out. Right. Yeah. Uh, So reading them, they're tied to the time as well. So like some of the ones I've been going back to reread from the mid 80s have like, you know, insane mid 80s references, you know, and all that kind of things. Uh, yeah, New Mutants talk quite often about getting home to watch Magnum P.I. <laughs> <laughs> it's very strange. Um, did you have any experiences of comic books then as a teen? Did you think that they... Well, I, I know you probably didn't have a lot of experience yourself. So I guess mm-hmm. what I want to ask is, how did they live in your mind? Like when you were in high school and you're taking the steps into becoming an adult and yeah. thinking about, you know, be, you know, lots of different things. Mm-hmm. Did you think comic books were cool? Did you think people who liked them were nerdy or weird? Uh, did you simply not think of them at all like they didn't <laughs> exist? What was it for you? Um, it, it was a combination of, I didn't think about them a lot, but I think I did. I think that is when I would buy, like bought probably two of like those little digests because I was like, hey, this is cool. This is I didn't know this was a thing I could still get. Yeah, because I just I wasn't in places where comic books were around. You weren't so in Seven Eleven. I wasn't. I didn't go to Seven Eleven. That there weren't a lot of them, and I for whatever reason, I just um, I don't remember really going to places where there were comic books. Yeah. So it was more. It was more that it wasn't in my life because of. Because it wasn't around me, not it, like it was a choice. Yeah. Um, but I, one of the things that I, I did a, um, a classmate of mine was a really, really good artist. Um, and in particular would like doodle and things like that, but do kind of line drawing style okay. of art. And I remember always thinking like, oh, he's going to be a comic book artist. And that's so cool. Okay. So I, I definitely didn't have any... I mean, I, I definitely didn't look down my nose at it. I think yeah. it just didn't really cross my mind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think enough of it to look down on it. I know that's not what you're saying. No, no. I mean, I was I was too busy at dance class. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. You're too busy actually learning to move your body like an actual superhero <laughs> and get muscles <laughs> and all those things. Yeah, for me, it was a really interesting transition because I definitely did build friendships from comic books. I think I've told you one of my uh, longest uh, uh, friends that I met in seventh grade. We just happened to be uh, sitting across from each other uh, in Spanish class. And I had uh, my the seventh grade. I had uh, my picture that I just cut out of a random magazine of Adam West mm-hmm. uh, as Batman. And he made a comment, and I thought he was making fun of it, and I got really <laughs> defensive, like, there's nothing wrong with Batman. And like, no, I, I like Batman, too. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, we spent uh, that time in Spanish class talking about superheroes and uh, Star Trek uh, The Next Generation, because that was brand new. Um, and then, you know, he, he and I went on, went on to be great friends all through our, our teens and are still friends to this day and all that. And mm-hmm. in fact... When we were still living in Minneapolis, he and I would have superhero Sundays where I would come over to his place and we would watch the latest, uh, you know, one shot animated DC movie. You know, so I definitely like as I became a teen, it wasn't like some other sort of nerd things that where it's like super not to be spoken about. Like uh, I had friends who I talked to about it and made choices about collecting and all and talked to act, talked, you know, uh, about which action figures we wish they'd make and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But it was a little closed system. You know, for me. And yeah. I think that there was a fe- de- a definite fear of judgment of like, I had my people to talk to about it, but I wasn't going to make, you know, a big 
big noise about it yeah. at school yeah. out of fear of, you know, being judged that, oh, you still, you know, collect the little silly comic books? For fear of it being seen as childish? Yes. Interesting. I find, I think that's amazing. That's in a wonderful way that you had a, a community like that. Yeah, um, a nice little, yeah. little community bubble. But I remember as a teen also trying to make it cool. Uh, my my uh, brother's girlfriend's uh, brother. He <laughs> uh, was he. It was a fun thing where like, oh, he's my same age and he has all these interests, same interests. And I remember trying to sound cool and asking him, oh, do you do comics? To try to make it sound make make collecting comic books sound like you know maybe a drug. <laughs> because there's that tension of like, yeah, I'm finding all these things of value and I still really enjoy these, but I also, you know, want to feel like I am becoming an adult, mm-hmm. um, which was, and then it was an interesting time to be collecting comic books. Cause that's right when the graphic novel thing really happened. The, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the dark Knight uh, came out and Watchmen and uh, DC started this whole other, other line called vertigo. That was all like adult things. That's where, Neil Gaiman's uh, Sandman is from, which I collected, and uh, Hellblazer and Doom Patrol, which the current Doom Patrol uh, show is is based on a lot of ideas from there. And uh, there was this run of Animal Man, which is kind of just an older, weirder comic book character who could turn into an animal, but it went into this incredibly weird postmodern thing where he realized he was in a comic book and he was being made to suffer for other people's entertainment like so comics really started exploding like it it was a weird time because when i would have started aging out possibly Mm -hmm. of comic books comic books suddenly became this window into much more adult content and uh i was reading hyper violent things and things that dealt with you know adult issues and with sexuality and i think there was some awareness of that in the world where people were worried about like this new Batman that's really mean and <laughs> beats people up really horribly and fights the police. That's not good. Like there was some awareness of Dark Knight and Watchmen, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of the culture didn't realize how much the vast majority of comic books uh, shifted mm-hmm. toward being a little bit more grim, dark, and a little bit more adult. Yeah, yeah. I know. I certainly didn't until. Until I was at some point, you know, kind of as an adult, walking into a comic book store and kind of being awed by the absolute variety of things that there, like it, it is just kind of that like a whole new world. I mean, honestly, of just like wow, there's so many different things and so many different topics and genres, and um, that was just kind of an amazing, um, eye-opening discovery for me. Yeah, yeah. There's also around the time, so there was like it was a great explosion because then there were a lot of non-superhero comics as well, just like much more avant-garde art things that I really uh, enjoyed collecting. That really, you know, subverted uh, the medium in, mm-hmm. in in ways that Watchmen did as well, but really uh, playing around with it. And at the same time, there was this sudden realization with uh, Dark Knight, Watchmen, then the Batman movie coming out in '89, and news things starting to to hit about how incredibly valuable some early comic books were because they had got they had taken that first step into the world we know now yeah where comic books that's great they're their own thing but really they're just you know a a field where we uh grow the movie crops that we harvest (laughs) you know (laughs) Uh, but there was that realization that that they were they could potentially be really valuable. So the company started to really play that up, and they started a new Batman comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
think it was Legend of the Dark Knight. I could have that wrong. Um, and they were like eight different, uh, maybe, I think it was five, different covers, different colors, all collector's item. And so there were a bunch of things like that where all of us were like, we're into comic books. We're on top of it. We're going to buy them. And like they were mass produced yeah. and everybody bought them so they could never be valuable. <laughs> Meanwhile, things like New Titans, uh, New Teen Titans, number two, uh-huh. issue two, uh, which I always meant to pick up, you know, but I wanted, had to save up at conventions because I wanted number one more. Uh-huh. Number two is, you know, skyrocketed in value because it's the uh, first appearance of Slade Wilson of uh, uh-huh. Deathstroke the Terminator. Yeah. And like all the things like that that were just organic of like a character that nobody could know is going to go on to be a big deal. Yeah. Is still what generated the actual value, not any of the cheap marketing ploys to be like, do you have hot pink Legends of the Dark Knight number one? Like, yes. And everybody has eight copies of them, so it will never <laughs> be valuable. Yeah. 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 I learned a lot about the world through you comic books. I did. Learning. You did. Look at all of this. Finance and investing and budgeting. <laughs> Why am I not a financial wizard from having collected comic books? Uh, another uh, comic book that I enjoyed which I believe was bound, so technically it's a graphic novel. But there was a series of Classics Illustrated where different um, big-named comic book artists would uh, draw, and writers would interpret, would draw uh, different, uh, you know, literary classics. And I really enjoyed those. Nice. Because then you could be like, ooh, what actual story am I interested in? Which artist is doing a weird take on it and that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, Which one stood out to you? Um, uh, great expectations because I had uh, been oh, really wow. I had really enjoyed the book when yeah. we had to read it for high school, so I was really excited about that one. I think there was a there might have been a Moby Dick that I really liked. <laughs> Would you have been intrigued by that as a teen? Um, y- yeah, I I mean I think so as a, a teen and and into my my twenties as well. Um, if we're going that far, we can go as far as you want. (laughs) Um, no, I think, I think that definitely. So I, my, my one other little graphic novel thing in in there is, um, in college for one of my classes, we had to read mouse. Oh yeah. Um, by, uh, Art Spiegelman. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, suddenly blanking on that. Um, yeah, that was. That honestly, that was eye opening to me because that was for me the first time that I saw a something that wasn't a comic book that was kind of intended for a younger audience. Yeah, um, and that wasn't written as a comic book, and that was like, nope, we're going to use this medium, and but we're not, uh, we're not going to make it easy. We're bringing you through the the Holocaust. Yeah, in you know, in this form of graphic novel. So here, deal with it. Um, and I, re- I mean, it was amazingly effective and, um, and I was, he actually came to speak at the oh, college wow. that I was at. So I got him to sign my copies of, of, um, I think he signed both mouse and mouse too. Wow. Um, yeah. So that was, that was just, it was a really, um, a really interesting eye-opening experience. And I think af- especially after that experience of, Honestly, just a time management thing of I had been told I had to read this thing. So I did. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And this medium and this format is a really interesting way to tell the story and a different way to dive in with the characters and kind of experience that world um, that I just hadn't had other than as a kid reading really the comics that I had been reading were very much designed for kids. Yeah. Um, That 
had I had more time <laughs> or just like, you know, if other people in my circle have been like, hey, you should read, you know, this Great Expectations graphic novel. I think I absolutely would have been like, yeah, cool, definitely. Yeah. Um, so it didn't necessarily lead me to reading other things right then, but it absolutely opened my eyes and my interest level into what else was out there and wanting to discover what else was out there and kind of see other things, read other things. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And yes, and I I had never, I was aware of Mouse because I was, you know, in the comic book stores, but I had never read it. And I, in fact, did read your copy mm-hmm. uh, once we uh, started dating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes it sound like we started dating and I just started going through your apartment. Like, where are the comic books? Any action figures? Anything I like in here? What, what do we got? What do we got? One, two, here we go. <laughs> Uh, but that's a great example of the way that the um, not that there aren't always lots of different kinds of comic books, lots of different kinds of storytelling in that medium, but the way I think it exploded. And I think this is where, to me, my sort of uh, interest in this comic book graphic novel not being in the, the difference between <laughs> stapled or bound, mm-hmm. but being the difference between people having such strong judgment of comic books of like, they are repetitive, simple stories. The Hulk has the same kind of adventure every time. There's no growth. There's no, you know, some of the art might be good, but what in, in people like Lichtenstein can pull out a panel and put it in a gallery and then it has value. But those are comic books there beneath us. But now Mouse is a graphic novel. And, I mean, that's the example that get, it gets used for that a lot. Yeah. And to me, what that, I, I, I push back against that because it's, it, the the medium is a tool to tell whatever kind of story mm-hmm. and all stories have value and all stories have different goals and to me it's more interesting to discuss the, you know the medium not more interesting it's valuable to discuss the medium as well as the content yeah yeah absolutely and that the content the, rather the medium doesn't force only one kind of content yes exactly yeah. sequential art doesn't just mean uh you know superman fighting a, a ray gun that Lex Luthor built. You know, right. it can be everything. Yeah. So let me ask you about the medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, from your experiences of it, everything from, you know, Archie and Jughead and Veronica and Betty having, you know, little uh, small teenage adventures that are supposed to be funny and charming and just a little peek into the teenage life in Americana, all the way up to Mouse, which is just really trying to reframe the actual horror of uh, war and and so many horrific experiences and you know generational conversations about trauma and all sorts of great adult ideas but they're the same medium Mm -hmm. how are you how are you affected just literally by uh, getting a story through sequential art Mm. um wow that's a really that's a really good question i i mean Sorry, I'm just kind of trying to find my trying to find my words. I understand because um, I'm thinking in art right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's I guess when I say that kind of my mind was um, kind of my eyes were brought open by reading Mouse. I think that I had because I hadn't really read anything for a while. I and it was not um, and because I just didn't have that experience. So it wasn't honestly, it wasn't a language I was familiar with of. Um, teaching my brain to read in that way yeah and so it at first when I started reading it felt very foreign you know like like it would if you're like semi-decent at a foreign language and then you're trying to read a novel in a foreign language yeah it's suddenly a different experience and I almost feel like it was something like that where it's like oh well I've known how to have conversations but now I have to read a book um and 
and by you know I absolutely got into it and really enjoyed it but because um you know now like as an adult when I read comics I I enjoy them and I don't have to go through that process but I think for a while because I didn't instantly go on and read other um comic books or graphic novels right away that there when I hadn't read it anything for a while there was a little bit of a push-pull like oh but okay right like just kind of adjusting my brain almost yeah um which sometimes made me not pick up the graphic novel or comic book, but made me pick up the other thing that I was thinking about reading instead. Yeah, that makes sense. Does that yeah. answer your question? Yeah, I think uh, I think part of what is interesting about comic books, particularly if you're just coming to them for the first time, if you are reading a comic book where you find the art really engaging, mm-hmm. if the art in the panels are are constructed in a masterful way, the same way a painting is that are they're constructed to draw you through it mm-hmm. you know just the way a, a brilliant painting is composed to loop your eye around it and around it and around it so you study it again and again and, and see it all the different angles um but then on top of it you're not just looking at a painting you're reading a story progress and uh, depending on the comic book you're entirely engaged in the conversation or if there are thought bubbles or uh the rectangular bubbles that are usually a little bit more narration than thought mm-hmm there are multiple different points of attack on the narrative mm-hmm. of following a conversation, following somebody's inner battle with themselves, following a narrator's opinion on what's going on. You know, for more traditional comic books, a lot of times you'll have an ed- editor's note. So, you know, Iron Man will say, like, I'll punch you out again, Cap. And then, like, it'll say asterisks, you know, see Avengers number 17, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, all of these different entry points into the world on the page just from the words as well as the art. So what I think it ultimately provides that's extremely unique is a choose your own adventure for how you absorb it. Yeah, definitely. Like, certainly movies and television show like you or podcasts, you can listen at <laughs> to different speeds. <laughs> uh, certainly people normally do that with movies and TV shows. People do that with podcasts sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously a, a books you can read at your own pace, but even that is a linear progression. You are reading the words. It, that is the thing that you are interacting with. Mm-hmm. But like comic books, like a page of a comic book, you can absolutely choose your pace. You can choose your path. There's so much that is open mm-hmm. to the reader to guide themselves, choose how they want to guide themselves through it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think it's really interesting because it does make you kind of approach the page in such a different way. And I think that's the kind of what I was trying to get at, that sometimes for myself, um, I know that there are times I'd be like, oh, how do I even do this? Then more subconsciously than consciously, because then you're like, oh, well, just jump in and read it, Sarah. You're capable of this. (laughs) But, (laughs) but um, But the combination of wanting to take in the whole page and take in the beauty of the artwork and also take in you know especially like full page artwork, splash, page. splash pages um you know how it because i'm a dancer i make everything uh a dance metaphor but like how it all dances across the page yeah and you know what's the what's the choreography and are you watching the big group picture are you watching the individual things um it's really i i think it's it's almost like it's a more whole body experience yeah or a multi-sense experience um, which I think I, I do stick with that, that it is just kind of a whole different way of, of reading and taking in the story. 
Yeah. Because I, I, even though it is the same senses, I feel like it um, fires them in different ways than just, say, like reading text on a paper. Yeah. Text on paper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's got that fascinating uh, aspect of it. And, mm-hmm. and for me, I, I, I choose to read comic books differently. Like uh, right now I'm reading some of the more modern Star Wars comics and, and some of the art in those comics I love. And others like, I don't really like the art. So I'm, I'm just kind of reading this pretty fast for the story. Mm, you know mm-hmm. uh but then like i went back and reread uh new mutants from the 80s that has a really famous run that the film that recently came out is at least partially inspired by and it has this utterly groundbreaking art uh by bill sinkovich and like that i was like i am going to take three to four times as long to read this comic because i'm gonna l- uh, really absorb each image yeah and really let that you know entirely change my mood mm-hmm. right this the same way like a really great film that that wants to pull you into its world and wants to you know change your tempo change your mood just by the environment and the sounds as much as the storytelling mm-hmm. you know and, and take the time to just really absorb it that way it's like that's a power of comic books that can be very film-like yeah yeah definitely but then for me like there's this uh, other power of the sequential art in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Like we all kind of just know the power of a photograph, right? The power of a frozen moment. Mm-hmm. And to think of comic books as just all of these frozen moments that are speaking to each other. When you think of like, you know, go through history and imagine like what are some of the most famous and evocative photos, uh, you know, from tragedies to, you know, the famous you know, random military guy dipping the woman during the celebrations of the end of World War II, right? Mm -hmm. And every panel can be as iconic as that, but the panels are also talking to each other. Yeah. So, like, for me, when I think of, like, you know, absolutely moving up, like, when I think of Mouse, I think of the panels where there aren't dialogue, where the son has been trying to talk to his father, and then just uh, there's an empty panel where he's just stoop-shouldered, you know, absolutely uh, you know so emotionally affected he doesn't have anything to say or think <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and that's a kind of power of silence that you can get in a movie but there's still motion there's something about it. it's like here is one still image of just being overwhelmed you know yeah. and uh, i think uh watchman gets talked a lot about for its actual narrative content its plot mm-hmm. but a part of the reason watchman is insanely brilliant and amazing and groundbreaking is it is in love with the medium of comic books and the way that all of the panels interact with one another and speak to one another is like just this sequential art symphony mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh so i guess this is the part where i can reveal how obsessed i am with comic books <laughs> not just my own personal memories of which characters i like but the actual art form yeah and all of the possibilities and the ways it can affect us differently emotionally mm-hmm um, so I want to ask you about this other thing from comic books yeah. that you, you've, uh, encountered the ability to hear both a uh, character's dialogue or read it in a, a typical word balloon. Um, or some comic books have the thought balloon where you can also hear the character's thoughts. Do you like that? Do you like being able to hear a character's dialogue and their thoughts at the same time? Yeah, Absolutely. Was I mean, there a lot of that in uh, the Dennis the Menace Bible comics? <laughs> <Where he> said, <laughs> probably not. Honestly, that's where I don't remember. But kind of thinking about like 
um, comics that I have been reading now as an adult. Yeah. Um, yeah, I absolutely like that. I like the the combination of the insight of the character along with who the character chooses to present, um, like the inward facing versus the outward facing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, that's a thing that I just really find fun, and it's an interesting way of – it's nice that there's such an accepted shorthand. Yeah. For how to portray that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and sometimes it can be used as just an info dump of like, yeah, there's there's no reason Spider Man would really just be rethinking exactly what happened in the previous issue. <laughs> it's it can yeah. be an ex- but there are moments I, I I will I will never know if this was intended to be as just amazingly funny as it is or not. But there is early in that uh, New Mutants run, uh, there's a character who grabs this big I think alien blaster. And he says out loud something along the lines of, like, freeze right there. I will blow you away. And then in the same panel, the thought bubble is, I have no idea how this gun works. <laughs> right? Like, like, it's beautiful. a picture of humanity in one panel. That by itself is just brilliant, <laughs> uh, beautiful art. Um, yeah, I was reading a really great thread uh, by a, uh, a comic book creator, a venerable comic book uh, creator, Jerry Conway talking about how much modern comics have shifted into not having and this has been going on for a long time uh not having thought bubbles because there is a little bit of that is are they is that cheesy and having instead uh these this convention that they are in boxes mm. uh which used to be the narration so right. it gives all the comic books this kind of, like when it started it first started happening during that later phase of my collecting when comics were getting like serious and adult mm-hmm. and it wasn't you know a thought balloon coming out of batman it was more like a film narration it was more like you know gritty la noir detective looking over the city that he loves and that he hates and you know having that sort of like grizzled like gotham you know She'll never let me save her. This city I love, like in that kind, yeah. a little bit more over the top, and then that that had that's become a lot more popular. So that even that convention has changed. Yeah, and uh, and the argument that Jerry Conway was making is once it reads like narration, it reads as though the superhero in a superhero comic book is remembering an event rather active than actively being in it, like mm-hmm. the thought bubbles do. So that the uh, narration takes a little bit of the immediacy away. So was this um, going for wanting, liking this, it not was, liking it, or just commenting on the change? It was uh, advocating to get thought bubbles back mm. and advocating that, yes, thought bubbles in times had been used as just cheesy exposition dumps. But going back to that, but they don't have to be. And yeah. having a little bit of that, like, ooh, it's it's just, it's one of those things I'm fascinated with. Like, you know, when I did comedy improv, people would fight over, like, what what's an elegant and mature and artistic way to edit a scene? And, like, pretending to mime a curtain was considered elegant. And clapping was considered gauche. Like, fair enough, everybody can have taste. I'm not actually disagreeing with which is which. It just happens in every art I've been involved in that things... Uh, regardless of their actual value, get a stigma of being less than. Yeah. And thought bubbles have got a stigma of being less than. Oh, I did not know. My uh, tastes were so gauche. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting, though, with this and who knows. I, I, I do not. I mean, I read more comic books now than I did uh, when I was a teenager, but I do not read that many comic books. So I do not claim to be uh, 
knowing much at all. But is it is it this pendulum swinging back? Like I find that so interesting in many forms of like, oh, well, we would not do that. And then however many years later, once it's been like you've been doing this instead because this is the classy way to do it, then I was like, but let's do this over here. And it, it often just swings back and forth between which is the, yeah. oh, we're absolutely going away from, you know, example A and we're going to, you know, style B. But then people get tired of style B or they feel like that has started to develop some of the issues that they had with style A. So they're like, well, let's do style A. Not necessarily. I mean, I think with comics, people are very aware of the history. Um, but sometimes it's about going back to how we used to do it. And sometimes it's about continuing to um, create and iterate and find new ways to finding something new. Yeah. So maybe there will be a new thought bubble box. I hope so, too. Yeah, a thought box. I'd yeah. be great with that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I think that is just one of the things that fascinates me about comic books is as a medium, it has all these different means of communicating uh not just visually but with words and with the graphic representation of what speech is and the graphic representation of what thought is and you know meaning builds up around it so some meaning just eventually emerges like oh that looks like it's past tense that looks like it's present tense that looks like it's associated with uh, you know bad habits of exposition that looks like it's associated with being overly self-serious and grimdark and like all those different associations build up around it. And then there's always room to be like, yeah, I mean, it could be coming out right now that there's, you know, some new iteration mm-hmm. that will eventually grow and have its own baggage attached to it. <laughs> so all fascinating stuff. Uh, so I eventually stopped collecting uh, the comic books. Uh, not because I didn't really, it, I, it wasn't any sort of like, I have grown out of comic books at mm-hmm. all. Because clearly, obviously, uh, I have not grown out of any of the things uh, that I liked uh, when I was younger. Because I don't really agree with the whole growing out of thing. Um, there'd been a big stylistic change mm-hmm. and certain artists that like I liked fine had become really popular and lots of things were starting to look very similar. Okay. Uh, and, and that was one of those, one of the first times I experienced like things change and evolve. And that was when I first grumpy, like, mm, this isn't comic books. Not everything should look like that. Uh, but the really big thing was the interconnecting stories had become really popular. And at that point, DC had been doing, you know, uh, I had fallen off of Marvel because DC had been doing more adult things and more weird things. Um, but it, both DC and Marvel started to have constant... Uh, I'll, I'll speak to DC, though, because that's what I was collecting. Uh, y- just you had to buy so many... You couldn't just collect this Batman comic and know what was going on. Mm, Everything yeah. was massively inter- interconnected, massively overlapped. Comics were getting more expensive. And I just kind of... I wanted to spend money on like uh my drums and and things like that and uh all other other stuff mm-hmm. um books uh all kinds of things um and i just had that like i don't i want to i, I can't decrease the number of comic books i'm collecting because i have to collect all of these in order to understand what's going on yeah and i wanted to ask your perspective on that because the, you know we started watching arrow on the cw mm-hmm and then we were thrilled when The Flash came along and thrilled when Supergirl came along. Super thrilled when Legends... And now, uh, you know, they have those crossovers sometimes where, like, you have to watch all of them. If you're going to watch one, you really do have to keep up with all of them. How do you feel about that? You have to watch them all. You have to read them all Ooh. in order to stay up with it. Does that is Is the trade-off for the interconnected world worth the, I can't just watch one? 
Yeah. Or from the MCU perspective, if you were like, I got no interest in uh, Iron Man. I just like Captain America. Like, mm-hmm. hey, Guardians of the Galaxy, great for you. But I just like Captain America. And then, you know, you start to get to the point where, like, who are all these people in the Avengers movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. For the the CW shows, I feel like you could you don't need to watch all of the shows. You won't get as much out of the crossover episodes, maybe. But you could still... Like, if you only watched Flash and Arrow, you would still be able to get yeah many things out of it. Yeah. Less and less, because you also now need Supergirl. Good point. Um, I'll be honest. This is honestly one of the reasons that I did not even attempt to try to start reading comic books for a long time, because I, you know, had gone in, blah, whole new world. And I was like, okay, well, I think I'll start with something that I know and then kind of figure out what some of these other things are. But then it's like, okay, but this is, you know, where it, what thing is this in the story? And is referring to this other thing and where do I start? And it was, um, there's so many choices and things are so many in- overwhelmed that for me, it just made me turn around, walk away <laughs> um, until things like uh, your influence and in some of the TV shows and movies and other friends that we have maybe be like, okay, I can try opening that door again. Um, but I think it's absolutely overwhelming, um, just personally. Yeah. Because there's a lot to do in life and we all have to make choices about how we spend our time. And I think it's, it's, there's, I'm not against it because you can get such rich stories out of things like that, but also, also that the, when you require that much of a commitment to be able to follow along, it also can be hard because then you're choosing not to do other things, which is fine. I guess we all make choices. <laughs> this is really all about time and budgeting. Goodness, what an adult conversation. I know. I told you comic books are mostly about budgeting for me. Uh, <laughs> for me, it's about budgeting time. So, hey. <laughs> Well, and for me, it is budgeting time, too. And over the years, I've always been, there's been moments where, like, I remember collecting, you know, comic books when I was like, I, let's say like 11, 12 and like, I'm in it, I'm in it. And I was thinking, I'm in it for life. Like, I got to figure out a career and a life that involves storage because I'm all in <laughs> for the rest of my life. Yeah. And these are already piling up. I'm already like, you know, the reason that I don't really ever know what to do with clothes is because I took all of my clothes out of my dresser at quite a young age to store my comic books. <laughs> uh so a little little uh, marriage insight uh, for you right there, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, I do really appreciate the richness of having an interconnected uh, world. I've said again and again, that's the true success of the MCU is they made a lot of great, brilliant choices and all the individual writers and directors, actors did a phenomenal job making films, but mm-hmm. they adapted comic books. They adapted the actual idea of comic books where these characters know each other. Mm-hmm where you can never fully know Captain America if he's just by him, himself and he fights the Red Skull once. A part of who he is comes out in his relationship with Black Widow and Iron Man and, you know, what it is to work with S.H.I.E.L.D. All these things, that's what make comic books comic books is they're all of these colorful, interesting characters' relationships with one another. Mm-hmm. So I love that. But then there's that sort of that business side of it of, like, it it feels like you're they're trying to be like, no, 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 you can't, you can't just dip your toe in the water <laughs> you got to go in the deep end now uh and, and i think that's a, a part of my um you know nostalgia for the smell of 7-eleven <laughs> when those comics were connected and the editor yeah. would say like 
hey, yeah, no, Hawkeye did just say something about an orb of blah, blah, blah that Ultron ate and then Vision, you know, used in his ceremony to summon the blah, blah. Like, in, it, it was weird and convoluted, but you got a story in that episode. It would reference other things, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't be like, the only cliffhanger would be get the next issue of West Coast Avengers. It wouldn't be like, you have to collect 82 comics. Yeah, yeah, and I don't mean to be coming across as too grumpy about... um everything you know being interconnected because it does give you the opportunity for you know we we spend time in these worlds and we love these worlds and we don't want them to end and we want to be able to open new doors and discover new things so it gives you that opportunity for exploration but um but it is hard if you want to go to door number three but to get to door number three you have to read Dora's A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and it's, and so anyway, push, pull. And this is where the Barnes & Noble go. graphic novels come in and are good, that there are certain comics, certain fam- famous runs that you can just say, like, I'm, I really wanted to read this run. You got me that wonderful comic, big book, uh, a graphic novel of George Perez's, uh run on Wonder Woman that I can't wait to read. And that's just a self-contained thing that I can read. And I, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that greatly. Here's my final kind of comic book question for you. For myself, it's been really great to uh, tap back into the world of comic books from uh, Comixology. I basically just wait until their sales because mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're still extremely expensive. Even Star Wars, I don't collect issue to issue. Because um, that's another thing that's happened to that comic books is the art has expanded and the words have decreased and the amount of story told in one comic book has decreased. So mm, like, yeah. I'm shocked when I go back and forth from some of the more modern because I'll, I'll catch up on some like big Batman stuff that happened in the last 10 years that I had, I didn't read, you know, and, and just the, the amount of story issue per issue is really different. So I'm reading some modern stuff mm-hmm. and then like the new mutants. I'm rereading some stuff that, you know, I read uh, when I was a kid and seeing how that lands as an adult and uh, you know, getting some really early stuff. I got the, you know, first issue of Avengers there's a bunch of weird stuff going on in there. The Hulk is a clown. He's at a circus and he's <laughs> wow. mad about it. Uh, yeah. And then I got a She-Hulk comic from the late 80s by an artist I really like, John Byrne, uh, that I didn't ever collect. And that's kind of a meta take on She-Hulk where she, in the fir- her first issue, gets kidnapped by a circus. And she's like, my, you know, my cousin the Hulk once worked in a circus. And the editor's like, yep, Avengers number one. So <laughs> reading all these different iterations of superheroes in particular. Yeah. Over the years, it, it this is not a new thought, but it was just a, an interesting way for me to experience it as I revisit these comics from uh, my youth and from more modern times, is that comic book superheroes who have now splashed onto the screen in a big way really are modern myths. Like you and I watched uh, that, that great show, Myths and Monsters, on Netflix, which we mm-hmm. highly recommend. One season, yes. six episodes. But it really goes down through like things like Robin Hood, how, how much Robin Hood got reinvented again and again to slightly tweak to fit the times or to fit the agenda agenda and you know same with the knights of the round table and all these other myths that we know right uh, are things that just got reinvented and reinvented and superhero uh superheroes from comic books are just totally modern myths they're just they they have general meanings that you could say like batman's always whichever version he's always uh, a, a figure of tragedy who lost his parents and is obsessed with justice. But then within that, he can be reinvented to be a symbol of the people. He can be reinvented to be a scary libertarian who beats people up. He can be reinvented in the Adam West version to be like, 
a real law and order guy who follows every little rule. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about that idea? Do you think it's a, a good thing to have superheroes as modern myths? Um, I don't know. I don't know specifically about a, a good idea or a bad idea. I think it's true. And I think, you know, we all, from watching Myths and Monsters, but also just from, you know, life, we need different stories of, we need myths, um, I feel like, as culture. And we need myths that speak to our current culture. And for for better or worse, um, I feel like that is one of the, superheroes are one of the things that, um that it's a very it's very present it's a shared experience for many people certainly not everybody um but that doesn't necessarily it can trans can transcend some other uh boundaries and so i feel like i maybe not i i don't have like a a good um <laughs> yes this is good but <laughs> i mean i'm sure there i i think it's probably much more complicated um than my brain is be able to think about it quickly right now but but i think it's very true and i think it, you know we need something um modern and i think it's just another interpretation of of myths and i this is kind of a, a tangent but when we went to see thor thor was not um a comic book line that i had read yeah but i was a really big uh fan of norse myths yeah. Um, and, you know, I had read a lot of them and, you know, have a, a lot of um, Scandinavian ancestry and very, you know, was around that a lot. And so uh, that was very much a thing that I was aware of. So it was fascinating to me to kind of see how Thor, the the Marvel movie, um, compared with like Thor, the Norse god. <laughs> uh, not like I'm any, you know, any sort of like actual academic expert, but it was very interesting to to take what is truly a myth, um, you know, a Norse god, um, but something, somebody, characters that have been part of mythology for so long and see how they're adapted um, for um, to become a modern myth. Yeah, I think that's a great example. And Thor kind of gets to what I think about it is I think that there, I, I think the value is in how do superheroes as myths reflect beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a danger that they can slip into being, I think there are always a power fantasy. Mm. And I think there is a danger that they can slip into being a juvenile power fantasy of, I think, you know, a totally understandable thing for, for humans to go through of like, I wish I had power and I could, you know, beat people up who are mean to me <laughs> or I could stop bad things from happening, you know? Uh, but if it just stops at that, like, I wish I was strong and then nobody could mess with me and nobody could, you know, ever criticize me or like you know if it stops that in a modern age of like i wish i was batman because then if somebody treated something mean at me i could (laughs) track that person down and kick their ass right uh you know if if the power fantasy stops at that Mm -hmm. that's dangerous yes but i think somebody like thor or wonder woman in particular this most recent wonder woman movie there is really this effort to say power is a responsibility what are you going to do with it yeah like Thor has to earn. I mean, the first entire Thor movie is him being slightly depowered because he lost his ability to wield Mjolnir because he wasn't responsible with that power. Yeah. That's a great myth to tell, right? Yeah, absolutely. That you absolutely do have inherent power, but you got to use it for something good or there's no point in having it. Yeah. Or Wonder Woman saying, I get to choose 
oh, wait, my old spoiler for Wonder, the movie Wonder Woman. Oh, I I thought I was meant to for this, but I was just I'm I'm a weapon. Mm-hmm. I was meant to be a weapon. But that's not who I want to be. Yeah. And I want to choose to not just be honestly a power fantasy mm-hmm. of somebody who can kick ass. I want to choose how I use my power and I want to use it to inspire people to be the best versions of themselves. Yeah. So for me, like it, it's I think just accepting that yes, they are the modern myths is fine. And then I think there's a responsibility to say they their their stories do shape what we are reflecting back to ourselves who we want to be. Yeah, so absolutely. So let's just use them to be sure to say what we want to say. Yeah, yeah, to to say what we want to say and also to when you look at them, I mean it I think it is part of why where they do have a direct line with myths is like any myth part of it is what do you what's in it? What is the lesson you're supposed to take out of it? But part of it also is what do you take out of it? You know, do you just read that the person, the god, the character in the myth is strong and mighty and you stop there? Um, or do you reflect on it more and take the full lesson or see or are they, you know, whether it's people over time or Marvel, um, you know, or anybody else, you know, DC and lots of other things. Um I think it does, but acknowledging that, I think, does give it an added responsibility. Yeah. Which, because we have had so many, um, specifically talking about the movies, to me, so many movies that have so much more to them than the descri- like the paragraph description on the page. Um, the actual experience of the movie has so much more depth and, um, you know, range of humanity and emotion and who you are and how you react to things and multiple versions of that that I feel like okay now that's what we've said superhero movies are so if you're making them now do the people making them have a responsibility to live up to that yeah yeah and I think that they can also be fun and escapist and I think that there is a power in just the the strangeness of it and the fantasy of it the same way like you tales of north gods and roman gods they're weird and tales of all sorts of gods that have been told in all sorts of cultures are weird and fun and i think there's that aspect to them as well but i've just seen a couple of these conversations about like you know if they're modern day myths you know what what's what's that mean and i thought i would uh, broach that with you yeah yeah i'm gonna think about this one more excellent i'm gonna stop myself from talking about captain america which i was going to (laughs) because that, that's a whole other podcast we'll do. Uh, for now, uh, let's uh, rate our obsession level. Yeah. I think mine is higher. Is that fair? Is that higher than mine? Yeah. I, w- I think that's very fair. <laughs> okay. Will you rate yourself and then rate me? Yeah. Um, so honestly, I'm going to rate myself um, pretty low for this one. Um, I, I find it fascinating, but in terms of day-to-day, I'm going to give myself a three- I think that's fair. Um, but I'm going to say that this conversation, um, and basically every time I have a conversation that involves comic books, I'm like, oh, I want to read more comic books. <laughs> and I don't necessarily have follow through, but um, I have enjoyed reading many comic books from the apps uh, through our local library. Uh, Hoopla yes. is where I check out all of my comic books um, for the most part. And I love it. I love that you can get comic books through the library. So check if you haven't check your own individual libraries and see if you can check out um comic books uh, online through whatever apps they have um just a little plug for libraries right there if i may um 
I'm going to say for you, this is a tough one. Mm. Because there's both current obsession and then lifetime obsession. Yeah. And influence on your life overall. You know, if we go with influence on your life overall, I think I'm going to have to say like a nine. Yeah. It's between an eight and a nine for me. For Yeah. I think if we go with the rating being based on effect on my very soul, uh, nine. I mean, I'm not not an expert. I tapped out of comic books for a super, super long time uh, in terms of just actually collecting them. I'm not an expert uh, by any means, um, you know, except for the the experiences that I had as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I think that they have uh, weighed heavily on my soul in great ways. Yes, I would agree with that. Would you like to make a noise to sum up uh, your obsession? I would like you to make a noise to sum up your obsession. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Uh... Kerthwacket. Excellent. <laughs> it's one of the great things about comic books is they're really uh, bizarre combinations of, uh, you know, big big letters and big words for noises. Mm-hmm. And Kerthwacket is one of the, uh, the favorites of mine. Uh, all right. Let's move on to our plugs. So where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Sarah underscore Scrimshaw. Excellent. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow Obsessed Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. It's at Obsessed Podcast. You can also check out the Star Wars podcast I co-host. That is called Force Center. For info on all my upcoming shows and comedy albums, uh, shows will upcome again. I, I keep meaning to change that. Uh, you can check out my website at josephscrimshaw.com is the point. Uh, you can also support Obsessed by backing us on Patreon. Full info on that, go to patreon.com slash josephscrimshaw. If you like weird fantasy comedy, I am a writer on the Adult Swim show Tigtone. Tigtone's second season is currently airing on Adult Swim. This, if you're listening as this episode is released... Uh, this Sunday is the episode that I scripted in Season 2, Tigtone and the Murder Mystery at the Death Tournament. If you're just curious, uh, the first season of Tigtone is on HBO Max, and it's on Adult Swim's website. And finally, uh, we are both, Sarah and I are both writing some letters for Vote Forward. It's just a way to help convince other people to get out and vote. If you're curious and want to check that out, you can go to VoteForward.org, which is spelled VoteFWD.org. All right. Are we ready for our final questions? We're ready. Excellent. If you could write a letter to any fictional character, who would you write a letter to? Mm, I would write a letter. Okay. I'm going to pull the Star Wars <laughs> Okay, <laughs> from you this time. I would write a letter to Jin Erso. Aww. I would write a letter to young Jin Erso hiding in the cave. <laughs> <laughs> so you would write <laughs> Lamu Cave. <laughs> exactly. Is the address. What would you say to young Jin Erso? Hang in there? Um, yeah, I think I would try to find something, you know, just say like, I, I guess that would be a weird time to send her a letter. But I think she could use it. Yeah, I, but I, you know, she doesn't have time later and then she gets even harder to find. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would just say that... Um, She's got she's got inner strength that she may not yet know about, but to hold on to hold on to the light and keep her head up. Oh, that's a very nice letter to send a young Jin or so in her hideout. If you could shoot anything out of your eyes, what would you want to shoot out of your eyes? Well, right now I would want to shoot some sort of like sanitizer aerosol um, <laughs> thing that would like. Uh, just like UV light that would auto kill coronavirus germs. Oh, nice! Yeah, nice. Uh, uh, on the exterior of the body. Yeah, like in the air. In the air. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that would be great to have some uh, virus killing 
eye lasers right that don't burn anything else or anybody else right yeah they like just, I, I could choose when they when to activate them but i could walk yeah. outside and be like okay let me get rid of all the coronavirus germs on this street wouldn't that be great that would be so great because then like movies could come out <laughs> and you could burn everything out of the right and then we could sit in a theater and yeah watch it's, a it's like movie. A, an air cleaner that is just beautiful. I'm tempted to think that is the answer to what is happiness, is <laughs> virus-killing eye lasers of light. But for you, what is happiness? Oh, I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> virus-killing eye lasers that, of light. Yep, mm-hmm. virus-killing eye lasers of light. The most direct and obvious answer to what is happiness right now. Thank you very much. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. So if you uh, spend time on Twitter like I do and you're looking for more joy in your Twitter feed, there is a uh, Twitter feed called The Spinner Rack. Uh, Spinner Rack, of course, being like the kinds of actual comic book racks uh, that used to be in, you know, uh, convenience stores. Uh, uh, in, st- in places like 7-Eleven. So it, it's called the Spinner Rack, and a couple times a day, uh, they post uh, the comic books that came out that specific week. And oh, they, wow. kind of range, there's a lot in the 70s and 80s and 90s, so it's a lot in my sweet spot. So you just get to see this like, oh, wow, this week, this particular issue for Marvel of Captain America, uh, Daredevil, and Dazzler, and the Avengers came out, and they're all, those were the comic books that came out that week. And the thing that's really, really fun for me is uh, working here in Hollywood. A lot of things when you're pitching uh, ideas from movies or TV shows and you're talking to other writers or agents or managers or trying to sell them. It's all about the log line. It's all about the, you know, incredibly short little elevator speech of, you know, it's like this thing, but then there's this and there's a twist. And it's so fascinating that almost every comic book uh from that era of comic books basically has a log line for the cover of like, you know, you know, what if the Hulk thought somebody was attacking him and the person he thought attacking him was all of Detroit. And then it's like <laughs> the Hulk going after it. Like, what if Batman needs to stop a bomb by midnight, but every clock in Gotham has disappeared. Like every, every comic book cover is like this weird log line pitch. For this like strange adventure and it is just so delightful and i absolutely love and recommend the spinner rack that's amazing i'm adding that 